my name is Chris Derso, and I am from Queens, New York. And just to educate you a little bit, Queens is in New York City, and it is the most diverse place on the planet. The most nationalities living amongst one another, uh, most languages spoken amongst one another. And, and my church, my incredible church, is a reflection of that. I'm the youth pastor at Christ's Tabernacle, where my parents, Pastor Michael and Maria Durso, are the senior pastors. And they wanted me to tell you all that they love you and that they're praying for us. They wish they could be here. Um, but I told them it was a youth conference and they weren't allowed to come. Uh, so they stood, they, they stood home. And my wife and I, my, my wife's name is Jairus. I know. Her name is Jairus. And so, so some of you might be thinking, well, isn't that a Bible character? Wasn't there a Bible character named Jairus? There is. It, it's true. Uh, but the difference between that Jairus and my Jairus is my Jairus is a woman. Just throwing that out there. Want, just want to make sure you all just know what I'm involved with. Anyway, and... Um, Jairus and I, we, we oversee an incredible youth ministry called Misfit NYC, and I'm just um, excited and elated uh, just to be a part of it, and I'm just blown away by what God is doing in New York City. Uh, and, and just real quick, as, as I'm talking about myself here, <laughs> which I love to do, um, I want you to know that I am... I'm, I'm a charismatic preacher. I am, I'm what you'd call a, a holler-back preacher. So um, while I'm preaching, I want you to preach back at me. If you hear something you like, uh, you, you could talk back to me. You, 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 you could stand up. You could make the ugly face. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you could take out a hanky and you could just wave it at me. I, I don't mind that. Uh, I like that. Uh, I, I want you to figure out a, a different term. This is going to be your go-to term. If you hear something you like, you could say, get it. You could say preach. You could say drop it like it's hot. You could say hey, you could even say preach it, white boy. That won't bother me. I like that. I I implore each and every one of you to figure out a term and to stick with that term. And here's what we're gonna do. I want you to figure out that term. I'm gonna count to three. And when I get to three, I just want you to shout back at me the term that you're gonna be preaching back to me with. Is that cool? Is that cool? All right. One, two, three. Okay, we have a lot of racists in the crowd. Awesome. Awesome. This whole right side, I was like, preach it, white boy. Awesome. I love that. Uh, listen, I want you to pull out a pen. I want you to pull out a pad. I want you to uh, pull out your B-I-B-L-E. Uh, if you don't have a pen or a pad or a number two pencil, it's cool. Go to the uh, memo section of your smartphone, your iPhone, your Blackberry, your Blueberry, whatever you got. I just want to encourage you to take notes. I want to encourage you to take notes this morning. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Uh, after the, the service is over, I'm going to be in the lobby. Uh, I'm going to be doing a, bit, a book signing because that's what they asked me to do. I wrote a book called Misfit. And the, for the first person that comes up to me and has every verse written down, and they could tell me in the order in which I preached it, you will get a book for free. That's what we're going to do because uh, I just want to encourage you to write down these scriptures and I want to encourage you to be able to retain it because uh, I know that this message is for you. So I'm going to be reading to you two uh, portions of scripture. The first is a story. The next is a statement by Jesus and then we will pray and then we will begin. Is that okay? Awesome. Uh, the, the, the first... The first scripture I'm going to be reading to you is found in the book of Judges, chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. 
We're jumping into the middle of this story where Gideon is about to kill these two kings. It says this, Then he asked Zeba and Zamunya, What kind of men did you kill at Tabar? Men like you, they answered, each one with the bearing of a prince. Gideon replied, Those were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. As surely as the Lord lives, if you had spared their lives, I would not kill you. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, kill them. But, I want you to underline this, but Jether did not draw his sword because he was only a boy and was afraid. Zeba and Zamunya said, come do it yourself. As is the man, so is his strength. So Gideon stepped forth and killed them. We're going to skip on over to the New Testament. And this portion of scripture is found in John Verse, chapter 14, verses 5 through 7. And it says this, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, well, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This morning, I want to, preach to you a sermon simply titled, Like Father, Like Son. Like Father, Like Son. Let's pray. Father God, I come before you now. and I thank you, God. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your presence being felt in this place. Oh, God, I thank you for everything that you've been doing, everything you did last night through Pastor Matthew Barnett and the worship team and the worship team this morning and everything you're going to do and continue to do with every other speaker that is going to preach a powerful and anointed message. I pray, oh, God, that you would anoint me now and you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And that you would speak to us today, oh God, and we would leave this place differently. We would leave this place with clear vision and understanding of what it is that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen and amen. Have any one of you ever noticed an issue in life, maybe large or small, and are bothered that this issue, that this problem even exist? Anyone know what I'm talking about? And there are some of you that are even just a little bit more bothered because you feel like you're the only one that is bothered by this predicament. You feel like nobody else cares, but you're the only one of any concern. You know what I'm talking about? There's a term for people like you. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We call you all misfits. A misfit... A misfit is one who's uncomfortable with his or her surroundings and is seen to be, is seen to be disturbingly different from others. A misfit is one who's uncomfortable with his or her surroundings and is seen to be disturbingly different from others. And I would like to suggest to you today that each and every one of you, You should feel like misfits. You should feel uncomfortable with your surroundings. There are things going on in this world that should bother you. Understanding that this world operates contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And as a result, you should feel bothered. You should feel bothered knowing that there are children in this world, like in Honduras and other places in this world, that have unclean drinking water and don't have the luxury of having clothes and and having food at their disposal. You should feel bothered by 
by it. You should feel bothered knowing that there are people in this world that have yet to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. And they could be in another state or they could be in your city or they're your schoolmates or you may even live with some of them. You should feel bothered knowing that there's a fire going on right now. And as a result of it, thousands have lost their homes. And eventually, when when the fire goes away, they're still not going to have their homes. And many of those children will have lost their their toys and and, and the things that, that were important to them and precious to them. We should feel bothered knowing. Knowing that there are people out there that are less fortunate than us. But this morning, I want to encourage each and every one of you. I I, I don't want you just to feel bothered. I don't want you just to feel uncomfortable for the sake of being uncomfortable. I want to encourage you to do something about it. Always allow your discomfort to to propel you towards change. When you leave this place, you should go out and you should sign up to sponsor a kid for compassion. You you, you should come up with some type of way to raise some money for the people that have lost their homes. You should should join a team and, and you should go out every day to tell the truth about Jesus Christ to your friends in your school and in your community. Each and every one of us should feel like misfits. Well, Pastor Chris, um, I get what you're saying, and it it sounds cute and all, but I'm I'm not really sure that I'm a fan of this term misfit. It just, I don't know, it just sounds, it just sounds like the gospel according to Urban Outfitters. And I'm not really a a, a fan of this term. It's just just a little bit too trendy to me. I, I want you to know that this is more than a trendy term. This is biblical truth. In 1 Corinthians 4.10, the Bible declares, it says, we are the Messiah's misfits. It says, we are the Messiah's misfits. Oh, Pastor Chris, I, I didn't realize uh, that it said that. Um, I didn't get to that part yet. Uh, w- which Messiah are you talking about? Oh, the only Messiah. The King of kings and Lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was indeed a misfit. He was so uncomfortable with the state and the condition of this world that he got up off the right-hand side of the Father. He got up off the throne, the only throne you should be watching. And he descended to earth and he lived on this earth for 33 years. And as a result, he died because of his discomfort, which was sin. He was murdered. He was killed. He was crucified on a cross, a cross that was created from wood, wood that was taken from a tree, a tree that was planted for that exact purpose. Jesus Christ was a misfit. So the question this morning isn't to be or not to be a misfit. The question this morning is, as a misfit, what is it that makes me uncomfortable? What is it that bothers me? And for all you note takers and participators, I want you to write that down. I want you to write, what makes me uncomfortable? And please don't write down anything petty. Don't write down I'm uncomfortable past Chris's skinny jeans. And the, the, why, why does his hair look like that? Why are his sleeves rolled up? I don't, want you to, I don't want you to write down anything petty like that. And you know, I don't even really want you to answer that right now. But I believe that at some point, either in the next few days or or this week, or even by the end of this meeting, you're going to know what it is that you were created to do. But for the most part, I believe that there are most of you here, you already know what it is that you were created to do. You already know what it is that makes you uncomfortable in this world. But whenever that is, whenever it is that the Holy Spirit speaks to you and shows you what it is that you are to be bothered by, I want you to embrace it. 
And I want you to run. I want you to run with it. I don't want you to spend too much time meditating on it and trying to figure it out. Because in that time, the enemy, because there's an enemy that is alive and wants to take you out. The, the enemy will come and he will try to trick you. He will try to deceive you. And you'll start to ask yourself all these questions that are unnecessary. And then you're going to look at your condition and you're going to look at your life. And you're going to just start to figure out and, and think to yourself, oh, you know what? I don't really need to necessarily do this now because I'm only 14 years old. Well, I'm only 16 years old. And you know, when I become 18 or when I turn 25, when I graduate college, then I'll really start living for God. Then, then I'll really embrace this discomfort. No, 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 no. I, I want you to know this. God is no respecter of age. He does not look down upon you because you are young. Once you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were enlisted into the army of God. And if you are a Christian, you are on the front lines and he wants to use you. He wants you to get ready because he has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He wants to use you in a great way. You don't need to wait till you're 18 or 25 or 30. He wants to use you now at 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 because you have to understand that your age has nothing to do with it, but God has everything to do with it. And he wants to use you now. This is why I'm, this is why as I was reading this story, of Gideon and these two kings and Jethro, I was beside myself. So I, I was flabbergasted at, at Jethro's response to, to turn down this request that his, his father was, was asking of him. He, he presented to him, he said, kill these two kings. And Jethro, Jethro steps back and he thinks to himself, no, 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 no. I'm too young. I'm too young. I'm afraid. But this blows my mind because, because Jether, Jether is a part of the team. See, understanding in Scripture that Gideon, he already had his 300 men. And Jether was a part of the 300. And he didn't just make it into the crew because, because of who his dad was. He was actually picked. He, he was actually one of the ones that was designated to be a part of these 300 men. But even with that, he was scared and he declined the opportunity to do something great. But isn't it funny? It's, it's easy to blend in with a, with a crowd of people. Oh, but when you're called to step out. When you're called to step out, you, that, 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 that's when you start to feel all the pressure. It is easy to hoorah in a conference like this one. The, it, it is easy to worship and to jump when, when, when you have an incredible worship team like the ones that have already went before us and the ones that we'll hear later on and run to the front and stretch out our hands and jump with them. It is easy to do that. And listen, I'm not making fun of that. I'm not dissing that. I'm right there with you. I want you to keep on worshiping. Keep on giving it everything you got. Oh, but there will be a time when you leave this conference and you are presented an opportunity and now everything you heard in the conference is going to come right back to you and then you're going to have to make a decision. Do I or don't I? Will I or shouldn't I? And you're going to have to figure this thing out. But understand that if the opportunity is being presented to you, then you are more than capable of handling it. And Jether, he says no. He's too young like his age had anything to do with it. Now listen, age requirements, they're needed. I, I, I get it. 
in America, we have to wait to be a certain age to do certain things, and, 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 that, and that's important. That, that's needed. Back home in New York City, you have to be 18 years old to drive. I'm thankful for that. I don't want to be on the road with a 14-year-old. I don't want to be on the road with a 16-year-old, right? You have to be a certain age to watch certain movies. You have to be a certain age to be able to vote. When I was eight years old, I couldn't wait to turn nine years old because when I was nine, I'd be able to cross the street. And across the street from my house was the park. And I was just trying to pull up in the park on my tricycle so I could hang out with my chromies and my homies. And I could just shoot the breeze and talk about life. I could not wait to be nine years old. Some of you have a certain age limit on when you can date, right? Some of you, it's 16. For others of you, it is 18. Uh, For my two children, I have a son who's five and a daughter that's two. My son Dylan, when he's 25, he could date. My daughter Chloe, when she's 90 or when I'm dead, she could date. So I'm not against age limits. I'm not against age requirements. But what I want you to understand is when it comes to the things of God, there is no age requirement. Regardless of the age you are, you are of age to do something great for God. If you are 13 years old, you are of age to do something great for God. If you are 15 years old, oh, you are of age to do something great for God. Oh, pastor, I don't have a teen at the end of my, uh, at the end of my age. I'm only eight or nine. Great. You are of age age to do something great for God. And there are many of you here and you're thinking to yourself, well, I can't wait to turn a certain age because when I turn that age, then I'll be able to do something great. And I want want to dispel all the rumors. That is not true. God wants to use you now. The age you are is the age appropriate to do something great for God. Your age will never keep you from doing something great for God, but immaturity will. See, it's not about turning an age. It's about turning over a mindset. It's not waiting for a birthday. It's the revelation of understanding that I could do something great for God now because if he be for me, then it doesn't matter who opposes me. The the, the, the scripture says, Turning to to Jether, his oldest son, he said, kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword because he was only a boy and was afraid. You are not too old. You are not too young to do something great for God. Matter of fact, I want you to write this down. I am not too young to do blank And you'll fill in the blank for God. And I want you to answer that later on. See, Jephthah's response, it it reminds me of of, of the story of David and Goliath. It it reminds me of what Pastor Matthew was talking about last night. Right? Didn't Pastor Matthew Barnett preach brilliantly last night? My God, he's one of my favorite preachers. In, in the story of David and Goliath, when, when David approaches the king and, and King Saul says to him, he says, you can't take on this Goliath. He says, you are only a boy. And he says, Goliath, well, no, no, Goliath has been killing men since he was a boy. But David, he, he doesn't listen to the king. 
But this was his authority. This, this, this was his king. This was the person who he was supposed to be taking directions from. And the king says, you can't do it because you're only a boy. But there was something that riled up inside of David. And he looked at his circumstance and he knew that God was telling him to go. And he says, listen, I'm going to go anyway. And we know how the story goes, right? David steps onto that battlefield. He, he swings that sling, releases that rock. Goliath falls down dead. Then he chops off the head of of Goliath. But one of my favorite parts about this story is this. After David walked away from King Saul, King Saul looks to one of his commanders and he says, who is this boy? After he says to him, you can't, it's not possible, you're too young. He he looks to his commander after David walks away, after the fact. He he looks to his commander and says, who is this boy? Who, who, Who is his dad? And the commander says to him, as surely, Lord, And it is day, and he swears to him, I have no idea who he is. I have no idea who his dad is. And now both the commander and the king had no idea who David's father was and where he came from. And then David comes back after killing Goliath, holding the head of Goliath, brings it before him. And then the king asks him, who is your dad? See, can you imagine had David listened to the king? Can you imagine had David had listened to Saul? But really, even though David, even though Saul was a king, and he was an authority figure. Well, why did he have any right to tell David that he couldn't? He told him that he couldn't before he knew who he was. There are some of you here today that you have been been listening to voices of different people, whether it's been a teacher or a parent or an older sibling or a cousin or a friend, and you bring before them your ideas and your dreams, and they're telling you you can't. But the truth is, they don't know who you are. They don't know who you were created to be. They don't know who your dad is. And listen, I don't know who your parents are, but I know who your father is. He is God and he is Lord and he is sending you out. I want you to ignore the voices that tell you you can't. They have no idea who you belong to. They have no idea who the son and daughter that you are. You are the son. You are the daughter of our God, the only true God, the living God. And if he is sending you out in all authority in that, I want you to walk in that fullness spirit and take on whatever is in your way. When you hear those voices of doubt, when you hear those voices telling you you can't, I want you to begin to talk back to them. See, some of you think you're crazy because you hear voices. Oh, no, no. I say you're crazy if you don't talk back. Tell them, in the name of Jesus, get thee behind me. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you are not welcome here. In the name of Jesus, be gone because I am called to this. And all those voices are going to tell you is to tell you that you can't. But understand that through Jesus Christ, you can, you can, you can. See, the Bible doesn't say that Jephthah couldn't. It says that he wouldn't. There's a huge difference. There's a huge disparity. Some of you have been presented the offer. God has been telling you what to do. And it's not that you can't. It's that you won't. But I want you to turn to that won't. I want you to kick it aside. And I want you to take on the will of God. Because he is calling you to step out. Jephthah could, but he didn't. And at the end of it, he, he passed up on one of the greatest opportunities. See, David is famous for killing a, a, a giant that represented a king. But Jether had the opportunity to kill two kings 
representing two kingdoms. And he passed it up. Had Jephthah killed those two kings, he would have been... he would have been looked upon as greater as David. I mean, when you compare the two stories. But because he didn't, it was a missed opportunity. I wonder how much missed opportunity is in this room. I wonder how much missed opportunity is already a part of your life. But I wonder if there's a young person in this room right now. That's saying, I've said no too many times when I should have said yes. I said I, said I wouldn't when I could have, and I'm not going to live that way anymore. Today, this morning, at 1025 a.m., I am going to take on the will of God. I wonder if there's anyone in here that is, that is willing to take on the will of God. See, see Jephthah was, was young, and he thought his age had something to do with it, but... But we've already identified that his age had nothing to do with it. But it also says that he was afraid. He he, he was scared. And and I get that because I remember being scared. I I remember when God called me to be a pastor and he told me to step out. I was scared. I was fearful. And and, and tell you the truth, I didn't want to. But listen, there's nothing wrong with being fearful. It's when you allow your fear to keep you from what you're supposed to be doing. There's nothing wrong with being fearful as long as you fear God more. As long as you have reverence for God in a greater way. See, your fears will keep you from being faithful. And this morning, God wants to cast out all those fears. He wants to see a generation rise up that looks their fears straight in the eyes and says, Get thee behind me. You are no no more welcome here. I'm going to take on the will of God. But you know what? I, I can't, really, can't really hate on Jether uh, too much because when you look at who his dad was, his dad was scared his whole life. I mean, his dad was Gideon. Do, do, you, do you remember when we first meet Gideon? Gideon is sifting wheat in a wine press. Why? Because he was scared of the enemy. Uh, I, I know we don't really sift too much wheat these days, but you don't sift wheat in a wine press. This would be the equivalent of preparing breakfast in the bathroom. You, you just don't do that. that that's not okay. Um, you, it's not sanitary. Uh, you, you do not do that. And Gideon, because he was scared, it says that the angel of the Lord found him sifting wheat in a wine press. And, and, and he was scared. He was trying to hide from his enemies. And and it goes on to say in in Judges 6.23 that when he saw the angel of the Lord, he was scared and that he thought he was going to die. And in Judges 6.27, he did what God asked him to do, but he only did it in the middle of the night because he didn't want anyone else to see him. Why? Because he was scared. In Judges 6 verses 36 through 40, he tests God just to calm his nerves. Why? Because he was scared. In Judges 7, 9 through 10, he takes up Someone with him on an assignment when he could have went alone, but he took this person with him. Why? Because he was scared. So, of course, Jether would be scared. I mean, like father, like son. This was generational. And some of you here today, you come from homes where maybe your parents aren't serving God. Or the things that you know about your parents that they shouldn't be doing and it's, it's wrong. You've picked up on some of those habits. 
For some of you, anger is a huge problem because you're used to seeing your parents get angry or you're used to seeing someone else in your family get angry and now you've only become a product of that. But I believe this morning God wants to dismiss and break all generational curses, anything that is passed on to us that shouldn't be. God wants to use you because he has plans for you. My wife, Jairus, she grew up in a home, a non-Christian home, where her mom did jail time for bringing drugs on over from Colombia to the States. And she grew up visiting her mom in prison. And she couldn't live with her dad because her dad had to work a job basically almost 24 hours, seven days a week, just to try to keep the lights on. So she had to move in with her grandmother. And she was brought up in the hood of Brooklyn, Knickerbocker. And I remember going to, going to my girlfriend's house when I was... 16 to pick her up and I would I would pick her up to bring her to church and her parents would say well where are you guys going and we would say to church they're like why are you going to church why don't you guys go dancing Jairus why why are you why are you wearing your skirt so high why don't you just show a little bit more legs you have great legs Chris doesn't she have great legs I mean this was my wife's parents but I have so much respect for my wife because never once did she, did she listen to her parents when her parents told her to do things that she knew she shouldn't have been doing. Never once did she get involved so heavily with drinking or drugs that, that it would have cost her to do jail time or anything like that. From the time she was 14 years old, she was going to church. And to her, it didn't matter which church. She grew up in a small Spanish Pentecostal church. And then eventually she came on over to our church. And she was serving the Lord with all her heart. See, there are some of you here today where your parents have told you other Otherwise, and you're influenced by them. But trust me, you don't need to do what your parents have told you to do. You need to take on the will that your father is asking you to do. And though things may seem crazy, and though your parents might seem angry, or though your parents may not tithe, or I don't know what they're involved in, those do not have to be the habits that you pick up on. You don't have to be anything like them, but you need to be everything like your father. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. I want you to to stand up on the will of God and take it and run with it. See, the one thing I, I can't knock Gideon too much, though, is at least he asked his son. At least he presented his son with the opportunity, right? I mean, he, he didn't overlook his son. He didn't look down upon his son because of his age. He looked at Jether and he said, Jether, take this on. But the request of Man, it was a big one, but can you imagine had Jether said yes? How we'd be singing his praises today, how differently this sermon would have to be preached because he was the young boy that when given the opportunity, he grabbed the bull by the horns and he ran with it and he was the young boy that killed the two kings. Some of you, if not all of you, have an opportunity right now And the request is big. The request is scary. It, it, it's a lot to ask. And you're looking at it right now when you're trying to figure out if you should take it on or not. Jether had to kill two kings. It was a big request. Oh, but, but Pastor Chris, how could a dad, how could a dad make such an audacious request from their son? How could a father ask a son to do such a crazy thing like this? Well, 
Isn't that the very gospel we preach? Isn't that the very story of Jesus Christ? Didn't God our Father say to Jesus, I want you to go down to this earth, live on it for 33 years, and as a result, I want you to be crucified on a cross. I want you to die for our sins. When you take on those opportunities, when you take on those offers, when you take on those requests from God that seem scary, understand that Jesus already went before you and he was obedient to his Father and he took it on. So when you take those things on, you're being just like Jesus. You're being obedient to God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Jesus would have said no? Can you imagine if while he was on that cross, while he was on that cross, when he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine if God would have said, all right, get off, get off the cross. We wouldn't have the same respect for Jesus as we do now. Because though he was in pain, though he was in agony, he, he, he stood there on that cross. But at any moment, he could have called the troops. He could have called the angels to his rescue. But he didn't. He stood there with his arms open wide in reverence and honor and worship to God. And the Bible says that God had to look away. See, there comes a point in every parent's life where they have to stop coddling their children. Where they have to allow you to go through it. There are some of you, you're looking for the help. You're looking to be redeemed. You're looking for someone else to come along beside you. Listen, the request is hard. It's difficult. I understand you're fearful, but you have to go through with it. Because had Jesus gotten off that cross, I'm not sure that we'd be talking about him the same way. I'm not sure that he would still be the equivalent to God as far as the respects go. But Jesus stood on that cross, and he died for our sins, and as a result of it, as a result of it, Jesus is just like God. Jesus is the living word of God because God said so. Jesus is loyal because God is loyal. Jesus is love because God is love. Jesus is faithful because God is faithful. Jesus is firm because God is firm. Jesus is victorious because God is victorious. Jesus is valiant because God is valiant. Jesus is unfailing because God is unfailing. Jesus is unmatched because God is unmatched. Jesus is undisputed. Why? Because God is undisputed. Jesus is perfect because because God is perfect. Jesus is the personification of God. Why? Because Jesus is God. And if you ever want to be like the Father, then you need to look to the Son. Jesus is your example. Like Father, like Son. Each and every one of us are called to be like the Son. We are called to be like Jesus. And I know some of you are scared. The opportunity has been presented to you, and you are fearful to run with it. But I want you to know that you were created for this. You were created to run towards it and God is with you listen to what Isaiah 41 10 says it says so do not fear for I am with you do not be dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you and help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand Deuteronomy 36 says this be strong and courageous do not be afraid or terrified because of them for the Lord your God goes with you he will never leave you nor forsake you understand that God and Satan they're not standing face 
face to face, fist to fist. They're standing head to foot. We trample on serpents. God has put the enemy under our feet. And we are not going to be a fearful generation. We are going to be a faithful generation. We are not going to be an oppressed generation. We are going to be an obedient generation. We are not going to be a Jether generation. Oh, no, no, no. Desperation Conference 2012. We are going to be a Jesus generation. When faced with trials, we are not going to fold. But like Jesus, we're going to strand strong with our arms stretched out, worshiping God, our Father. I wonder right now, I wonder right now if there's anyone willing right now. There's no music playing. There's no worship team behind me. But you've realized you don't need worship. You don't need incredible musicians to worship your God. I wonder if there's anyone crazy and audacious enough right now to stand on their feet and to lift up their hands. I mean, if that's you, get with it. I want you to stand on your feet. I want you to open up your mouths and I want you to worship your God. Even when life doesn't play the tune that you want it to. Oh, you're going to worship your God. Even when you're scared, you're going to worship your God. Come on, I want you to fill this room with your I love yous, with your hallelujahs. I don't want you just to shout. I want you to worship your God. You're fearful. You're scared. Worship your God. As the worship team makes their way out, I want you to worship your God. But before any song is sung, I want you to sing to your God. Before anyone tells you to come up to an altar, I want to know if there's anybody in here willing to run up to an altar and make that place of consecration and say, God, I'm willing to go. If you're sending me, I'm going to go. Come on, run up to this altar if that's you. Get up here right now. Tell God I'm going to go with your hands lifted up, with your hands outstretched. Say, God, I surrender. Wherever it is you're telling me to go, I'll go. Taking the stance of a Ruth. Oh, Father, where you want me to stay, I'll stay. Where you want me to live, I'll live. What you're calling me to do, I'll do. If that's you, take the next 30 seconds and worship your God as loudly as possible. Come on, worship him all over this place.